The following audio is from a sermon series entitled The Sacred Life. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Acts 11, verses 19 through 26. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This is the word of the Lord. If you look at our church now in the past five years, uh, we're very grateful to God. And in many ways, we've been quote unquote, successful. We have seen many people come to faith. We have baptized a whole slew of folks. We have multiplied missional communities many times over. We have a whole lot more people in our gathering this morning than we started with. Our budget and our income has gone up, but it's really easy for a church to kind of adopt the markers of success from the culture um, and just say, well, okay, this, this is what it means to be successful. We're, we're successful. We have, you know, we're solvent. We're, we are uh, going, things are going up and to the right and things are looking really good. And so um, let's just coast. Let's just try to keep things the way they are. And let's just kind of enjoy our success. And I know that's what many of us want to do. We want to get to a moderate level of success, get comfortable enough at home, and then just kind of coast coast along at home and be comfortable and hope that nothing really bothers us too much or, or uh, interrupts our little comfortable world that we've created in our kingdom of our homes. But it's easy for us as a church to look at some of these successes and then lose our way going forward. Thousands of churches have done that before us. Um, this is why the reformers, their slogan was, reformed and always reforming according to the word of God, because there's this natural pull, this is current that we're, we don't even know we're living in and we're swimming in that's pulling us away from God and it's pulling us away from the purpose of our life. And so we have to constantly be coming back to God and coming back to the word of God and constantly reforming or we just will lose our way. So it could be really easy for us to kind of say we've arrived, we're a healthy church, we are elder-led right? We're self-sustaining. These are big markers for a church. They say 50% of all church plants fail within the first two years, and it's something around 80% within the first uh, five years. So it's really easy for us to go, five years, we did it. We've lasted, right? Nobody's killed each other yet, right? Like the elders are, you know, the elders haven't like, you know, split and all, all kind of terrible things that can happen. This is a, a great reason for us to rejoice, and it's really easy for us to go, Yes, now let's just chill. But that'd be a mistake. And it would honestly, it would mark the beginning of the end 
of the life of our church or the health of our church. Our vision has not changed since day one. We are here to do three simple things. Make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city. We are not here to grow a big church. We are not here to just make us feel comfortable. We are not here to make a big name for ourselves. That's not why we're here. We believe that scripture teaches us that the only way to make disciples is in community and on mission. And we do that primarily through what we call missional communities. And as our missional communities grow and they multiply, um, churches are needed. And so churches are formed out of these new missional communities that multiply. That's kind of what happened with Sacred City. We planted a missional community. It multiplied, it multiplied again. Once we got three missional communities, we launched this public gathering here in 2012. The more missional communities you have uh, living out the implications of the gospel and working in our cities, the more our cities begin to be changed by the gospel and begin to reflect the principles of the gospel. And it makes our cities into better places to live and work. That's our goal. Next week, I'm going to spend the whole week next week talking about what does it mean to renew the city? And when you think about this, how does your work, your everyday life play into the, you know, your calling as a Christian, your calling as a missionary? How does this play in? How do, what does it mean to renew the city? We're going to spend all week next week talking about that. Now, what I want us to know, though, is this is not something, this is not like Sacred City slogan, Okay. This isn't something we got behind closed doors and we're thinking like, what does our city really want to hear? What are all the other churches not doing, right? Like trying to find this niche market, right? That's not how we came up with this vision. Like to make it really simple, we read scripture and we're studying the book of Acts and we saw, okay, this is God's mission. This isn't the church's mission. This isn't our mission. This isn't our vision. This is God's mission vision. It's the mission of God. And it's, if you didn't know this, it's the mission of your life this morning. Did you know that? Your calling as a human being is to be a part of the mission of God. God has one mission. He's had one mission from the very beginning of time when he made Adam and Eve. He wanted to be known and he wanted to be worshipped. That was his mission. He didn't create Adam and Eve because he was lonely. Right? He's got really, just this relationship with the Trinity is just on my last nerve. Let me create some human beings. Right? If it, that did not go well. Right? He wa- why did he create everything? He created everything because he wanted to be known. He has a mission for the world to know him and to worship him. I want you to take a second to think about that this morning. What, just what if that is true? What if the reason the earth exists, the reason the sun exists, the reason oxygen exists, the reason plants and animals exist, and the reason we exist as human beings is to know God and to make him known. What if that's why this whole thing is going on, right? Why we're waking up and breathing oxygen and going to work and raising children and walking outside in the 90 degree heat and all of this stuff is going on in our everyday life. What if the whole purpose of it is to know God and to make him known? Now I want you to hear that's very 
contradictory to what our culture says you're here for. Our culture basically says, you're, we don't know why you're here actually, but just enjoy it while you're here. That's what pretty much our culture says. Our culture says you exist for your own comfort. Do whatever you can in your life to make your family, to make yourself as comfortable as possible, and then you're going to die. So life is short. Use it. Right? That's not what the Bible says. That's not what scripture says. Scripture says we exist for the short period on earth for one reason, and that's to know God and to make him known. See, for me, that changes the way I view life. And I need this recalibration almost on a daily basis because Mark, everything I'm reading on Facebook and magazines and books on the news, on the radio, we're completely being bombarded by this idea. Life is short. Just enjoy it while you can be as comfortable as you can. And we're not being reminded life is short. It's the purpose of it is for the glory of God. The purpose of it to know God and to make him known. Think of it like this. God is telling a story. He is making a movie and he's the director and it's kind of all about him. His goal, his purpose, his vision is going to be what the movie is all about because he's the creator. But here's the, here's what's interesting. This movie that God is directing, the story that God is writing, interestingly enough, he has sovereignly written your name into the script. You have a part to play. Now, here, let me just say this. It's going to be a small part. It's probably not a speaking role. Right? It's, it, let's just think of this. In a three-hour movie, in the three-hour movie extended edition version, right? Your face is only flashed up once as a part of a crowd. But you're in it. Now think about this. What if this is the greatest story that has ever been written? What if this is the greatest movie ever directed and ever told, and it will win every single award that's, that's even offered, right? And then you get to go to the Academy Award party, and you get to say, I'm in this. And yeah, you got to pause it and slow motion it, and your face pops up, and you smile, and you're gone, but you're in it. Right? You have a, pl- a part to play in this epic movie. Nobody can ever take it away from you. On your deathbed, you get to say, I was in the greatest movie ever told. Now, here's the funny thing. Most of us, or many of us, instead of having this kind of like brief moment into the most epic story ever told, the story of God, most of us want to live our lives like we're the director in our own story, in our own play. And let me tell you, my daughters do this. Okay, dad, we made a play. Will you come watch it? Sure, I'll come watch it. And there's usually two actors. They play every part. It's all about them. You know, the dialogue is less than ideal. Right? The the plot line is, you know, it's usually a princess. And there's usually somebody falling in love. And honestly, the funnest part about it is usually there's a fight between the two main actors during the play. That's the funnest part. Ooh, conflict, right? That's the funnest part. But here's the, here's the reality. They are the main actors. 
They are not just, if, this, if the credits rolled, they are producer, they are director, they are screenwriter, they are costumes, they are everything, right? They are the main actors, but the dialogue is weak, right? The whole narrative of the story is, is pretty sad. Uh, the acting, I, I, they're cute as a button, but the acting is just less, you know, it leaves a lot to be desired, right? It's a pretty weak movie. But my, what I'm offering up to you today is I think many of us would rather be the star in our own little pathetic story than a flash onto the screen of the most epic story of all time. And that's God. That's God's story. It's what God is telling See, here's the big idea this morning. When you are making disciples, which is the calling of every Christian and the calling of every church, if you are making disciples as a part of the local church, you are living inside of God's great story. You are an actor. You are written in to his story. But when you try to create your own story outside of a local church, You are wasting your life. You're living for something really small when God has written you into a story of epic proportions. Why is that? Because God's mission is to be known and worshipped. That's the plot of the movie. That's what the whole story is about. That's where this whole story is, 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 is on this trajectory. And then when we die and when, or when Christ comes back again, we get to explore and experience this whole world that's been completely restored and renewed with God at the center and Jesus Christ at the center. We don't even need a son because Jesus is our son. That's where we're, this whole story is moving towards. Our ultimate happiness, our ultimate fulfillment in the presence of God. But when you live like you're the center of the universe. Think about that. When God is the center of the universe, your life expands. The depth of your story expands. Multicultural, global, it's more than global, it's galactic. God's renewing all things. But when you're the center, right? When things are orbiting around you, think how small that gets. calling you, the the scriptures and the spirit and God are calling us into this God-centered life to prepare us for a God-centered eternity. So this whole story is about God's mission to be known and worshiped. That's what the whole story is about. That's why we're created. That's why we're in this movie at all is to make him known and to know him, to worship him. This is why at Sacred City, we, our vision is to make disciples and to plant churches and to renew the city. We want more and more people to come and know God and to see their lives as a part of God's story and worship him instead of living their life as the star of some backyard YouTube video. You were created for more. You were created to be a part of his story. Now, this is not easy work. This is very difficult work. And what happens, it's actually impossible work. And what you see in the book of Acts, let me just give you, catch you up to speed really fast. Jesus Christ comes. He lives the perfect life, the life that none of us can live. He obeys God perfectly. He knows God intimately. He's connected with God and he walks this earth and lives a perfect life, completely obedient to the law. Well, the the life that we fail to live. And then in this dramatic kind of turn of events, right? He gets treated 
like a lawbreaker. He gets treated like a blasphemer, like an adulterer. He gets treated like a murderer. He gets treated like, like we deserve to be treated. And he is crucified and killed in our place on a cross for our sins to appease the wrath of God. Okay. That's what Jesus does, but it doesn't end there. Three days later, we know Sunday morning, Jesus rises from the dead right? New life enters his physical body and this physical body kind of, it's this totally renewed body. It's a picture of the new heavens and the new earth. He's got this newly restored body that he can eat fish and he can walk through walls. Okay. It's Star Trek ish. Okay. Right. This is where things are headed. Jesus does this. He, he's resurrected to new life. Well, then the story doesn't stop. He meets with his apostles because listen, this story is like far-fetched. How can you can believe that? Right. We should all say that. How could a guy come back to life and then be this, you know, new creation person? We should all doubt that. We should all, you know, have some intellectual reservations about that. But then Jesus shows up to his brother who was not a follower and he convinces his brother that he's back from the dead. Now, I, I always joke around. If you can convince your younger brother that you're the son of God and you've come back from the dead, you know, I'm probably going to follow that guy. Right? Because nobody, right? Nobody wants to be convinced by that. And then he, he shows up to his disciples. He shows up to over 500 people. They touch him. They see him. They see him eat. They say, okay, Jesus is alive. He's back from the dead. And then Jesus says this, I'm going to leave you. Some of the most shocking language Jesus ever said, it's better for you that the resurrected Jesus leave. I'm going to go up to heaven with my father. It's better for you that I leave, but I'm going to send the third member of the Trinity, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to live in you. Go into Jerusalem, wait there for me, and you're going to receive power from on high. Jesus goes up to heaven. They all watch him. Whoa, this is crazy. They go to Jerusalem. This is the book of Acts. They're sitting there and they're waiting for power, right? They're waiting to receive the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter one. They're there, they're praying, and that's exactly what happens. The Holy Spirit descends on them. They begin speaking in other tongues. They got flames going on. They got all kinds of stuff. And these disciples who were scared, these disciples who ran away, who scattered like mice when a light turns on, that's what happened when Jesus was crucified. They just took off. All of a sudden now, these same disciples, Peter specifically, are filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with boldness, stand up and on the day of Pentecost, and they preach the gospel with boldness. And we see 3,000 people come to faith right away. And it's funny. They're like, they're drunk. They're like, no, it's too early in the morning to be drunk. And he's like, it's the Holy Spirit. And, and they preach the gospel, and 3,000 people get added. And then in, in Acts chapter 2, we see that these all these new believers that come to faith, they start living out the rhythms of this new community, the church, and they're eating together, and they're praying together, and they're worshiping together, and they're coming to the gathering and hearing the apostles teaching together, and they're sharing their goods. They're very generous with one another, right? They're doing all these things as the church. Now, what's interesting is what happens is in Acts chapter four, they, uh, the scripture records in actually 20, I think it's 26 through 28. He says this, he says, all of this was happen according, happening according to God's hand and plan. Everything God's, God's hand was accomplishing, everything God's plan had predestined to take place. And one of the things that we see the apostles praying for is we see them praying for boldness. We need boldness to preach. And you know what happens after this? This guy, Stephen, he was there, he's praying for boldness and the spirit fills him with boldness and he gets up and he preaches the gospel 
and he has a less, a less than receptive crowd. Okay, let's just say that. They are cut to the heart. They hate him. They hate the gospel because the gospel basically is you're not good enough for God, so God came to save you, and you have to humble yourself and admit that and receive Jesus Christ, and he's the only way. That's the gospel. And so even in our culture today, we gnash our teeth at that. We push back on that. That sounds arrogant and uh, very intolerant to say there's only one way to God. And so it got Stephen killed. It might get us killed in the future as well. We should be prepared for that. It's a message of intolerance. There's only one way to Jesus. Well, it sounds like a message of intolerance. It's actually, it's actually a, a message of love. There's only one way to the Father. And so Stephen preaches the gospel, and guess what happens? They pull out rocks, and they stone him to death, and they kill him. Now, when I'm in my prayer closet praying for boldness, right, what I'm not, what I don't mean by that right? It's prepare me to die. That's not what I'm meaning, right? When I'm praying for boldness. I mean, when I'm at the grocery store, right? And they, you know, I, they want me, I, hey, what's up, man? You know, you, I'm trying to have a conversation with somebody about the gospel. Like, that's what I mean. Or my neighbor, like, it's so easy for me. Like, I'm a preacher and it's still hard. My neighbor, it's like, what do you do? I'm a preacher. Like, just invite yourself, please. Hopefully that just starts there. Oh, can I come? That's what I want them to say. They don't. <laughs> they don't do that. I'm praying for boldness. That's what I mean. I don't mean, now listen, God's hand and God's plan has predestined this to happen. They pray for boldness. God says, I'll answer that prayer for boldness. Stephen, you're going to preach and then you're going to die. And he does willingly. And he looks and he sees the glory of God. Let me just say it like this. He sees the greater story. He sees the greater plan. He says, my life has more meaning that I'm willing to die for my greater purpose. I'm willing to die and play my part in this role because I'm going to enjoy God for eternity. Now listen, nobody is at home pro probably praying. I, I really just, you know what I mean? I feel called to be a Stephen. If I'm in the story, make me Stephen. That's who I want to be. My kids, they watch movies. This is how they watch them now. That's me. And then the other one's like, no, 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 that's me. No, you're that one. You're that one, right? They chew, that, that, that's me. Clearly, that's me, right? Nobody looks at Stephen here and goes, I hope that's me. But there are people, I, I read an article last week, a man, a Christian, skinned alive by ISIS. Christian pastors beheaded right now by ISIS. This is going on. This is what your life is about, not accumulating more stuff, but making God known. We're worried if we can afford the next car or the upgrade in the house or the new clothes and the new jeans. We're worried about these things when we need to have our eyes directed upward to the glory of God. Now, first off, I just want you to know the mission of God is not your comfort. Look at Stephen. <laughs> Please look at Stephen. You have a role to play, and it might not be a comfortable role, but you have a role to play in the mission of God. Then, what's interesting here is as Stephen uh, is killed and he becomes the first Christian martyr, there's this man there, and this man is named Saul of Tarsus. And Saul is there, and he says he's, the scripture says he's holding the cloaks of the men who pick up the stones and kill Stephen. And so that, that shows that he's giving his full approval of the murder of the first Christian martyr, this guy named Saul. Okay? I'm okay with him. Well, that's no, just, 
I'm not going to say that. Never mind. I'm having a conversation with my own, in my own mind. He's giving his full approval. And then he goes to the, to, the Jew, to the Sanhedrin and he says, hey, I want papers that give me the right to go to all the provinces and wipe out Christians and throw them in prison. And he gets these papers. Okay? And this event, what happens right here with Stephen, it begins this great time of persecution for the early church. And and what, interestingly enough, what it caused, though, is the apostles, they go back and they gather together, but all the other, those 3,000 people that came to Christ, they take off. They are afraid, right? The, the, The threat of persecution drives them out, and it says it drives them out into Judea and Samaria. And it's very interesting, because when Jesus gave his great commission, go make disciples, remember he said, in Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria, right? Like this ever expanding. And what causes that to happen? What sends these new Christians out as missionaries to these other lands? Persecution. They prayed for boldness. Stephen was killed. The, uh, Saul says, I'm gonna, I want to go and persecute these Christians. And that drives the church out. That drives believers out from Jerusalem. Now I want you to think, They were nice and comfortable in Jerusalem. Miracles were being done in Jerusalem. Their needs were being done. Their needs were being met. They were meeting together. We we talked about all the things. Happy, little, nice, comfortable community in Jerusalem. And God brings the boot of persecution to spread them out. Now, at any time that you're in a missional community and you just feel like this isn't comfortable, this isn't going the way I want it to go, Think of Stephen, please. Think of Stephen, right? The mission of God isn't our comfort. The mission of God is to make, to know God and to make God known. And God was okay with Stephen being killed in order to, and the church being persecuted in order to drive them out into mission. So God just sparked the expansion of the church out of Jerusalem with the murder of Stephen. But this spark is the spark. Here, what I want to see here. uh, This is what I want you to see. This is the spark that will set the world on fire. As you travel through the book of Acts, the gospel begins. It started here in Jerusalem and it just begins to move out from the center People start meeting Jesus in chapter eight. This Ethiopian eunuch meets Jesus and he gets ba- He meets Philip and he meets Jesus and he gets baptized in the name of Jesus. In Acts chapter nine, verse one, Saul is on his witch hunt to go persecute Christians, throw them in jail and probably kill them. And what happens? Think of this. It's not a perfect analogy, but this is like the head of ISIS on on a horse riding to kill Christians. And the resurrected Jesus shows up, knocks him off his horse and says, stop persecuting me. And he says, okay, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. 
Stop persecuting me. And then he says this. I love it. It's one of my favorite scriptures because Saul, just because he's such a tough guy, this is, what, this is what Jesus says to him. For I will show you how much you must suffer for me. Wait, wait, no, 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 no. I'm on the other team. I'm on the other team. I'm trying to kill Christians. God shows up and goes, drafted. You're on my team now. You're going to suffer. But you're going to like it. (laughs) And we see this. Saul gets converted. He comes to Christ. He repents of his sin. He's changed in this moment. So much so that they change his name from Saul to Paul, right? And he goes on and he's going to write two-thirds of the New Testament. And he's going to suffer greatly. He's going to be shipwrecked and snake-bitten and persecuted and beaten and thrown in jail. And he's going to be preaching the gospel nonstop. Paul. Now this is a big moment for the young church. One of the chief persecutors has just been converted by God and now he's switching teams. See, God's hand and God's plan had written Saul into his mission. He says, Saul, you want to play this little part and you want to destroy? No, 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 no. I've written you in as one of my chief characters. You play the part that I gave you. Did Saul want to be in the script? Absolutely not. But God is the author, not human beings. God chooses the people to play parts in the story of redemption that he's writing. And then we get to our text this morning, chapter 11, Acts chapter 11, verse 19 through 26. So if you would turn, turn with me there. This is the church that has now spread out. So we've got this persecuted church. On, it's moved out. Now there's this church in Antioch. Now let's just jump in with verse 19. When you're there, say there. Come on now, get there. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Okay, stop. The church right now, the faith, Christianity is really strictly speaking a Jewish movement right now, monocultural in a sense. Ethiopian eunuchs, Got it. But monocultural, right? You have to be a Jew to get it. All right? But look what's about to happen. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. That's Greek speakers, okay? That's non-Jews. Also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. Now, two things happened right here, okay? First off, this is no longer... The apostles preaching the gospel and the apostles planting churches and the apostles doing the work. Who is it? Some men. I love it. They're in heaven right now like, I was one of those. I didn't get, you know, I didn't have the speaking role. I didn't put my name there, but that was me. Some men, says, right? So first off, we see these new disciples that were made. All of a sudden, now they're sharing the gospel, okay? And the second thing, we're about to see Non-Jewish people accept the gospel. Okay, let's keep going. Also preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. That's where the apostles are still at. The apostles are still in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So here's the deal. Okay, we're in Jerusalem. We hear this. There's this revival going on in Antioch. 
Greek-speaking, non-Jewish people have come to faith through some men of Cyrene. They're preaching the gospel. We don't know anything about these guys, and we don't know what's going on here. Barnabas, go check this out, right? Make sure this isn't a cult farming over here. Go check this out. Let's keep reading. When he, Barnabas, came and saw the grace of God, oh, he went to a church and he saw the grace of God. He was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Stay on mission. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, look at this, he brought him to Antioch. Now, why was the church at Antioch planted? Because Saul was persecuting the church. Saul's there. Stephen dies. Saul is persecuting the church. This church in Antioch gets planted. And Nelson Barnabas is like, I need to go find Saul and bring him back to this church in Antioch. And I'm going to train him and I'm going to equip him for ministry there. And the church that was planted because he was trying to kill Christians. And God's sovereign hand and God's sovereign plan. You can't write a better script than this. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, what we see here in Antioch is the church is really just crushing it, right? Unnamed people are sharing the gospel, are making disciples. This new church is getting healthy, right? We've got unbelievers, these Gentiles, these pagan people are coming into the church and and, and uh, getting saved. And basically what happens is Barnabas is going to go back and they're going to have this thing called the Jerusalem Council. And they'll be like, hey, uh, is this a legit church? And he's like, well, the Holy Spirit saved them. And they're like, okay, well then let's, it's a legit church. If the Holy Spirit sees fit to save and adopt these and graft these unbelievers and these Gentiles in, we can't stop them, right? So this amazing work is going on. And well, let's just keep going. Let's just go to 13. Let's go to 13. Now, verse one. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. I have a part for them to play. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Okay. Now this is one of my favorite instances in the book of Acts here. Saul was trying to snuff out the expansion of the church. And now he becomes a main proponent of, expanding the church. He's been brought in and now he's been sent out as a missionary from the very church that was birthed because of his own persecutions. So this guy right here, Paul, who writes two thirds of the New Testament is commissioned and sent out from this church in Antioch. Now look at verse four. 
So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Okay, now this is where I'm going to pick up a lot of speed, and this is going to be a short sermon today. (laughs) It is, I think. I've got, I mean, wait, I've got about at least 12 minutes to cover 2,000 years. Not a big deal, right? This is what's going on. I want to make sure you're tracking with me, then we're going to jump on the, the train together. The church in Jerusalem was planted on the day of Pentecost, where 3,000 people were added to the 120 that were already in existence. Then Stephen's sermon and murder caused them to spread out, and churches were then planted in Judea and Samaria, and an Ethiopian meets Jesus, and then Antioch church gets planted, and then Paul and Barnabas get sent out from Antioch. At the same time, Peter and Philip are planting churches in the most important cities of Lydia, Joppa, Caesarea, Tolmas, Ashdod. Paul now goes to Syria and beyond there planting churches. In Acts chapter 16, verse 10, Paul converts Lydia, and she is the first Christian convert in Europe. It's very important. From there, Paul goes to Athens and to Corinth and to Ephesus, sharing the gospel and planting churches. Now, I want you to see the pace begin to quicken here, right? One church, it begins to expand, and then all of a sudden things start picking up speed. The gospel is on the move, and the mission of God is expanding around the globe. Churches are getting planted further and further from the center of where things started, okay? Now, I'm going to really start picking up speed. In AD 51, Paul begins his second missionary journey, a trip that will take him through modern-day Turkey and on into Greece. In AD 80, first Christians are reported in Tunisia and France. In AD 112, Pliny the Younger reports rapid growth of Christianity in Bithynia. In 150, the gospel reaches Portugal and Morocco. In 174, the first Christians are reported in Austria. In 197, Tertullian writes that Christianity has penetrated all ranks of society in North Africa. In 200, the first Christians are reported in Switzerland and Belgium. 202, Roman Emperor Severus issues an edict forbidden, for, forbidding conversion to Christianity. That's in 202. It's illegal to become a Christian. In 280, first rural churches emerge in northern Italy. Now this is important. In 280, Christianity now becomes It's no longer just a city movement. The word pagan literally means rural. Okay, that's where he got the term from. So city, uh, planting churches was, and Christianity was mainly a thing that happened in cities because there's more people in cities. Now it begins to spread out into rural areas. In 313, Emperor Constantine issues the Edict of Milan legalizing Christianity in the Roman Empire. 378, Jerome writes, from India to Britain, all nations resound with the death of the resurrection of Christ. In 380, Roman Emperor Theodosius I makes Christianity the official state religion. 386, Augustine of Hippo, St. Augustine, is converted. 432, Patrick goes to Ireland as a missionary. St. Patty's Day. Okay. That's what we celebrate. 
I don't know why we drink green beer. All right. I'm not going to get into that. 596, Gregory the Great sends Augustine and a team of missionaries to England to reintroduce the gospel. The missionaries settle in Canterbury and baptize 10,000 people within a year. 650, the first church is organized in the Netherlands. 680, the first translation of the Christian scriptures into Arabic. In 740, Irish monks reach Iceland. I'm going to have to skip some. In 957, Princess Olga of Kiev is baptized. 1244, Christians are reported in Lithuania, and King Mindaugas was baptized in 1251. 1382, the Bible is translated into English from Latin by John Wycliffe. 1491, the Congo sees its first group of missionaries arrive. Under the ministry of these Franciscan and Dominican priests, the king would soon be baptized in a church built in the royal capital. 1494, first missionaries arrive in the Dominican Republic. 1498, first Christians are reported in Kenya. 1506, mission work begins in Mozambique. 1509, the first church building is constructed in Puerto Rico. 1515, Portuguese missionaries begin work in Benin, Nigeria. 1523, Martin Luther writes a missionary hymn based on Psalm 67. May God bestow on us his grace. It has been called the first missionary hymn of Protestantism. 1529, Franciscan Peter of Ghent writes from Latin America that he had a colleague who had baptized 14,000 people in one day. In 1531, Franciscan Juan de Padilla begins a series of missionary tours among Indian tribes southeast of Mexico City. 1536, Northern Italian Anabaptist missionary Hans Oberecker is burned at the stake in Vienna. 1537, Pope Paul III orders that the indigenous people of the Americas of the New World be brought to Christ by the preaching of the divine word and with the example of the good life. 1540, Franciscans arrive in Trinidad and are killed by cannibals. 1541, Franciscans begin establishing missions in California. 1543, Anabaptist Menno Simons leaves the Netherlands and begins planting churches in Germany. 1549, Jesuit missionaries led by Xavier arrive in Japan and build a base in Kyushu. Their aggressive proselytizing was most successful in Kyushu with about 100,000 to 200,000 converts. 1553, Portuguese missionaries build a church in Malacca Town, Malaysia. 1554, over 1,500 converts to Christianity are reported in Siam, Thailand. Let's skip some more. 1594, first Jesuit missionaries arrive in what is today Pakistan. 1630, an attempt is made in the El Paso, Texas area to establish a mission of the Mansaos Indians. 1644, John Elliott begins ministry in the Algonquin Indians in North America. 1649, the Society for the Propagation of the Gospel in New England is formed to reach the Indians of New England. 1654, John Eliot publishes a catechism for American Indians. 1690, the first Franciscan missionaries arrive in Texas. 1706, Irish-born Francis McAmee, who was an itinerant Presbyterian missionary among the colonists of America since 1683, is finally able to organize the first American presbytery. 
1719, Isaac Watts writes the missionary hymn, Jesus shall reign wherever the sun. 1735, John Wesley goes to Indians in Georgia as a missionary with the Society for the Propagation of the Gospel in Foreign Parts. It's a long name. 1742, Moravian leader Count Zinzendorf visits Shekomeko, New York, and baptizes six Indians. 1743, David Brainerd starts ministry to North American Indians. 1758, John Wesley baptized two slaves, thus breaking the skin color barrier for Methodist societies. 1760, Methodists reach the West Indies. 1816, Robert Moffat arrives in Africa. The American Bible Society is founded. Charlotte White, a Baptist, arrives in India, the first single American woman to become a missionary. 1832, Tieva, a former cannibal and pioneer Pacific Islander missionary, is commissioned by John Williams to work on the Samoan island of Manono. 1833, first church is planted in Iowa near Dubuque by Dominican father Mazukeli. He also planted churches in Lee County and St. Anthony's Church in Davenport, Iowa. In 1838, 10 people gathered together in a small building on the corner of Ripley and Front Streets. This was the first Presbyterian congregation in Davenport. In 1839, First Baptist Church is organized and the first service is held in the name of John El- in the home of John Eldridge. 1840, David Livingston is in present-day Malawi with the London Missionary Society. American Presbyterians enter Thailand and labor for 18 years before seeing their first Thai convert. 1854, Hudson Taylor arrives in China. The China Inland Mission is founded. 1867, Methodists start work in Argentina. 1886, missionary John Fuleri arrives in New Guinea. 1921, Dr. R.R. Brown establishes the Omaha Gospel Tabernacle and the first services are held at 20th and Douglas. This would later be known as Christ Community Church in Omaha, Nebraska. 1996, Mark Driscoll plants Mars Hill Church in Seattle, Washington. In 2000, Mark Driscoll founds Acts 29, a church planting network. In 2000, Ethan Burmeister plants Core Community Church in Omaha, Nebraska. In 2005, Bob Thune and a team of 60 people from Christ Community Church in Omaha plant Coram Deo Church. In 2010, Justin and Amanda Dean moved to Omaha to complete a church planting residency with the Acts 29 network. In 2011, the Deans moved back from Omaha to plant Sacred City Church with a launch team of about 30 people. In 2012, Sacred City Church launches a public Sunday gathering at the Junior Theater. In 2013, Sacred City Church partners with Joshua Nagao and Fishers of Men Ministries to train and equip MC leaders and church planters in Kenya, Africa. In 2014, Sacred City Church supports Corey Johnston to plant a church in Collinsville, Illinois with the Acts 29 network. In 2016, Sacred City Church sends Pastor Justin to Kenya to train leaders and form 15 new missional communities across the country. In 2017, January of 2017, Sacred City Church launches a new Sunday gathering and church at Youth Hope on 12th Avenue, in Moline, Illinois. 
Okay. <laughs> ben will put that on the website. All because the Spirit fell at Pentecost. Stephen prayed for boldness. Stephen preached the gospel. Stephen lost his life. It didn't go well for him. The Spirit pushed it forward. This is the mission of God. This is why we exist. This is why the church exists, why we exist, to move the mission of God forward. We're a part of this. We get to be a piece. We get to play a part of this story. Right? It's not just history. We're a part of it right now. And in Lord willing, January 2017, we get to send out Sam and Becca Schmidt to plant this new sacred city in Moline. And we get to see the mission of God move forward. And this isn't, and hopefully it's going to pick up, it took us five years to plant our first church. I pray it picks up steam from there. We are part. This is just a few of the highlights of this unstoppable mission that God has that you're a part of. Right now, our network, Acts 29, we have over 592 churches across the world, 20 countries. We have another one, no, I see another 263 churches that are in application. So they're a church they planted and they've applied to our network and they're being assessed and we're seeing if they fit our mission and fit our vision and they're going to move in. If those come in, that's over, that's almost 800 churches across the world that we're a part of. In 2016, our network is planning to plant 98 churches. In 2017, we have 127 churches that are being, that are, are, we're planning on planting. 2018, 201. Now, how do we know that? Because right now in Acts 29 churches, we currently have 472 church planters in training. Jeff is one of them here. We have 239 church planters in an official church planting residency. Jeff's one of those an official church planting residence. We're training men to be a part of the mission of God. This is why we exist. And I'm calling us guys, not to a life of comfort, right? With your family as the center and your needs as the center. You didn't exist to stare at your own needs. You were built to stare at the glory of God and sacrifice your needs for the glory of God. And planting a church is going to take sacrifice for us. Listen, One, I like preaching to a lot of people. This is fun to me, right? We're taking, let's just say about 50 people, this is our best guess right now, 50 people that live in Illinois, and we're sending them over to start this new church. That's a lot of folks here that won't be here, right? That's going to be a sacrifice. That means more people are going to have to step up and volunteer in our kids' ministry. We're going to need more volunteers back there. We're going to need, it's, it's going to be difficult on us, Right? It's going to be a sacrifice we have to pay. What is it for? For the glory of God and the expansion of the gospel. Right? We're going to need more of you to step up as missional community leaders. We're going to need more of you to come to our MC training like we have tonight and say, you know what? I'm going to live for the glory of God. I'm going to teach my kids that church planting and making disciples is more important than their own comfort. This January, I'm excited. We've 
took an offering up about a year and a half ago. We're jumping the gun just a little bit. We were excited about it. We've got some money. We're going to, I'm going to ask you for, we're going to take up another offering probably in December to help finish off their, um, their first two years of budget as we send them out. Now it's interesting to me. Why, why would we plant churches, Justin? Because there's, it's, there's something about the river. There's something about, where's your church? It's over there. Oh, the river. Yeah, it's more like the bridge. That is, right now it's like the bridge. Don't worry. It's only going to be another two years, right? Three years before we get a new one. So we're planting church. We're, t- we're so tired of construction. We're planting a church in Moline. <laughs> Just for you. Just for you. Right? The God calls us to plant church. Now listen, in the future, Lord willing, we could have a church. We like small congregations right? We like small congregations where you meet people and you know people. We could have a church in all four of the quad cities. I don't know. Lord willing. We want it to be like this. We like one gathering. I'm not saying we're always going to do that. We like one gathering, one gathering, one gathering over there. That's probably going to be like a half hour later over there. Illinois folks, half hour later. Uh, Sam's right now, Sam has requested he wants to preach once a month. So Sam's going to be preaching once a month over there. And then we're going to be just doing live video stream. It'd be a live stream of the Sunday message over there. That's how we're going to do it. Same liturgy that we've got their own, their own band are literally the way God's orchestrated it. Half of our band, right? Half of our band is from Illinois. And so it's just going over. Now here's the problem. All of our keyboard players. So if there's any keyboard players out there, right? One family had like three or four of them. We might just break the family up. I don't know. No. <clears throat> so it's going to take sacrifice from us all. We need to be praying about it. We need to be thinking about it, right? If you live in Illinois, we want you to be praying about joining this launch team. And when you join a launch team, some of us remember what it was like joining a launch team. It's awesome and horrible all at the same time. Okay. It's awesome because you know, everybody and everybody knows you and you feel so connected and you get these intimate relationships. And then there's like, you know, the awful side of things is like, there's 50 of us. So all of us are have to serve in the nursery basically, you know, and that's a good thing too, though. We have like 60, 70 kids. I think we're only going to have like 15 over there. When we first launched sacred city, you need to be here for the 10th celebration or the five-year anniversary celebration on the 10th because we're going to go into some old places that we're at. We're going to rehearse some of the stuff. You, you really want to hear this story and this, this video that, that we're making. We used to have one room that was like 10 by 10 and we would just bring all the kids in there and throw one college-age kid and just shut the door. <laughs> that was it. Saying, praying for the spirit. Praying. We're out of here. Right? And that was it. And now we have like, uh, we have 75 kids or something if everybody shows up, right? We have a ton of kids and it's a lot more complex. So there's a beauty to the simplicity of what's going to go on. Same liturgy, same, you know, half of our worship team is going to be over there. There's going to be new, new needs for people to step up and be a part of the team and you can serve and you can really, but then it's also going to be difficult because you're needed. Every member ministry, like we talked about three weeks ago, you are needed. You're not just an attender. You don't just show up and just consume. You are needed. And this church right here, 50 of our folks are going to be leaving. Let's just say maybe more. We need you too. You need to step up, become a producer, a contributor, and not just a consumer, right? People, you're going to be missed when you're not here. And this is all. Why? Because the mission of God is moving forward. God wants to be known and he wants more people to know him. And did you know this? The number one evangelism strategy in the world is church planting. 
We baptized 30 people. We've now, I don't think we've ever baptized 30 people in any other year of Sacred City Church. The first year we were a part of a church, we planted the church, we baptized like 30 people. Why? It's new. People are coming in. People are checking it out. All our unbeliever friends, we're living on mission. Right? We're tired. It's kind of awkward when it's like 50 people too, right? And like 10 of them are up on stage, right? And then the other five are out with the kids. So there's like 15 of us and we're like, we need to, we need to invite some people because this is awkward, right? And so you, you invite all your neighbors, you invite people out, they come check it out. You develop relationships with unbelievers. People come to faith. This is how the gospel moves forward. And so we're planting a church in Moline so that we can reach more people for Jesus. That's why we're doing it, right? That's why we're doing it. And so we're, we're inviting you here at Sacred City. That's what we're about. Pla- making disciples, planting churches, and renewing the city, right? Be a part of it. Join us on mission to do this. All for the glory of God. That's what it's, that's what it's all about. Let me pray. Father, I, I thank you for the work that you've done in us and through us over the past five years. <sighs> Many a day, many a month, we didn't think we were going to make it. Um, we didn't know if um, the money was going to come in. We didn't know if we could meet budget. We didn't know if we were going to have the volunteers. We didn't know if um, we were going to be sane. Um, we didn't know how we were going to do what you had called us to do. And just like through the book of Acts, your sovereign hand and your plan led us and guided us and you are the senior pastor of this church. You are the one building your church. You are the one moving your mission forward. It's not about our comfort. It's about your glory. And I pray that you would capture us with that vision, this epic universal vision of planting churches and renewing cities and making disciples around the globe. And God, you would just continue to receive glory and disciples would be continually made and you would enable us um, to do and to play the part that you've called us to do, to play it really well. Um, I, I pray that you'd work in our hearts, in our minds, that we'd lay our selfishness down at your cross and we would be reminded that if we've been saved by you, we've been sent by you. We're all missionaries for the gospel in our cities, in our gyms, in our workplaces, in our homes. And we ask that you would do what we can't do and you would bring conversions and you would make disciples through us, Father. And as we come to the table this morning, we come as hopeful for the work that you're doing in our cities. We have family members that don't know you yet. We have family members that say they know you, but they don't follow you. Their life is all about them. And Father, we want them to be caught up into your story. We want them to be restored and renewed and to know you and to make you known. And so we, we ask that you would do that. As we come to the table this morning, we're reminded that we're sinners and that we need your body that was broken to cover our sin. And we need your blood that was shed to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. We need it. And so we reach out our hands humbly as people in need and we receive from you. And Jesus, I pray that you would nourish our souls and we would walk out of here as people who have been forgiven, people who have been cleansed, and people who have been empowered to live new lives in community and on your mission for your glory. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.